2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Wrestleomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, June 12th, 2022. It's some 24 years since Kensuke Kobashi defeated Toshiaki Kawada in the Nippon Budokan on June 12th, 1998. Just, just over a month after Kawada finally beat Misawa, on May 1st, 1998, in the Tokyo Dome, uh, ending another one of his short-lived Triple Crown title reigns. Um, joining me, though, from my immediate south, the uh, regional South Buffalo champion of Lake Erie. I am the all-Northwestern champion of of Buffalo and WrestleNomics. All of us have a belt here. Chris Gullo jo- joins us. Hello.
3: Hello. It's a... Uh wonderful Sunday uh, morning here in Buffalo, New York, but I think it's going to rain. Unfortunately, yes. i was thinking about taking the dog on a walk near the uh, Lake Erie here, but I don't know if that's going to happen today.
2: Wa- You're going to go to the waterfront?
3: Yeah, I live very close to the waterfront. Like, super close. So, Yes. So, But yeah, um, we uh, have, should have a fun show today. A fun topic that's been talked about before will be our kind of main topic. Uh, and that will, will WWE sell Maybe that's really the answer. Um, and we're going to kind of break that out. We'll go over some other news and notes uh, from the week as well. Uh, but we are going to start off
2: with that question. Yes.
3: Um, I had a
2: an article. Um, did you happen to read the article? Yes, I, I did read the article. Yes. Okay. Excellent. I'm doing my work, Brandon. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, people can send well, in yeah, questions. Always the chat. I always it's forget about, about that. Some questions. Uh, how can people do that?
3: Well, uh, right there, as you're watching on YouTube, you see there's a little dollar sign button. You uh, uh, press that and then uh, submit your amount with your question, which would be in a normal uh, thing when you put the say something, and uh, it will come up, and we'll show it on the screen here as we got the high technology uh, here now at Nomics and uh, we'll answer your question. If it's related to what we're talking about that time, we'll answer in that period. If it's not, we'll get to it to the end.
2: Yes. So um, these are photos from Vince McMahon's Twitter. In fact, I, I uh, realized that the other night. Uh, pictures of Vince, Shane, and Stephanie. Uh, this looks like WrestleMania. Was this the COVID WrestleMania? Maybe I don't know. Um, but Re- WrestleMania of recent years, and then obviously uh, uh, of probably the early '90s in the lower left for people watching on YouTube. Um, <clears throat> but we had uh, we have we have some some headlines for you to read here whenever you see go i forgot to tell you in our in our pre uh pre-show briefing the blue outline for you will will indicate that there are some some things in the notes for you to read uh but wb had a press release that came out earlier this past week announcing a new executive joining the team Yep,
3: uh, this was uh, June 6th uh, out of Stanford there. WWE today announced that Catherine Newman has been named Executive Vice President and Head of Marketing. Newman brings more than two decades of executive experience to WWE, including her most recent role as Chief Marketing Officer of the Manchester United Media. Uh, she has also been held senior positions at the Times of London and Financial Times. Leading global marketing initiatives, developing strategic partnerships, and boosting subscription growth across various products. As part of the senior leadership team, Newman's oversight will include marketing, brand, community relations, entertainment relations, creative services, and photography. She is a graduate of Lower Borough University, a Charter Institute of Marketing postgraduate from Buckingham, um, sorry, Buckinghamshire New University, and a fellow a mentor in the marketing academy you're not a kingdom um, they, very interesting as you know with stephanie uh taking a leave of absence and then this hire is made and my i think the thing i really took from that is the word brand being involved with one of her responsibilities as stephanie
2: was or i guess still is
3: the chief branding officer
2: um she, she's still on the board of directors um yeah. She's taking over many of, of Stephanie's duties, at least while Stephanie is out. I've been reassured Stephanie will be back. Um, I don't know if she'll be back in the same role or not. We could speculate endlessly about that. Um, but it's Catherine Newman uh, from <laughs> Manchester United. You have you have any context you can provide us with Chris Gull about Manchester United? Is that the the most f- well known famous football club? Yeah, that is.
3: They are the. Uh world's most famous uh football club english premier league they're you would to reference them they're almost like the new york yankees of soccer mm-hmm. people are fans of them all across not just the united kingdom but all across the world
2: do you do you watch
3: premier league um well, once in a while i don't keep up on it uh as much it's, but it's I mean, on like it, in yeah. the morning to us yeah. on,
2: on like usa network yeah yes yeah
3: i uh USA Network, Peacock has games uh, too, I believe, and all that. Um, I've watched like, see, I, I'm a Sierra A guy. Uh, I still follow AC Milan once in a while, so I watch all that. But very familiar with DPL, and then of course the Champions League,
2: which AC Milan and Man United have been in together before. So, so and this is the relegation. So do teams go from Syria A to to the to the Premier League and, and vice versa?
3: No. So Sierra A is the top league in Italy yes so okay. yeah it's a top league in Italy just like La Liga and um the German League escapes me the name but like they' are the top leagues in that country and then the, the Champions League takes not only champ like the champions of those leagues but top tier teams and they all play in a pretty much like a best of European Europe tournament almost
2: well anyway obviously she comes from a sports background and uh, from a, v- a very well-known uh, sports organization so you can see why uh, that m- it might be a match for her to come to WWE. Um, Where do you stand lately on the notion, Chris Cole, that WWE is going to sell. They're going to sell to to Disney, to to Comcast.
3: As I told you, when we first talked about this on the show, since I've joined that, I think it's a strong possibility. I understand the points that you made about Vince McMahon. And we heard in various podcasts like Nick Khan uh, on Colin Cowher that, Vince is just, he's work, work, work. He doesn't take vacation. This is his life. Is WWE really his true want, love uh, of his life? Um, but I think it gets to a point where you have, your the decisions you're making are not just for, hey, I want to make my business great. It's, I want to make my business as lucrative and as marketable as possible. I mean, we've seen the market cap go up. Um, we've seen budget cuts, uh, you know, cutting maybe some uh, expenses that Nikon and others thought wasn't necessary. Uh, we've seen TV rights deals, historic TV rights deals, and more on the way <clears throat> higher than what they're getting now, most likely. So I think in in my opinion that this is a company that's trying to be as valuable as possible. So if they do want to pull the trigger on a sale, they can. And they will get a great, you know, uh, great value for but great
2: compensation back. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I think any time you're a publicly traded company, it's incumbent upon you have a fiduciary duty to uh, drive value for your shareholders, um, which could explain why there were, which could, would be sufficient to explain why there were uh, budget cuts and, and layoffs to make the, the company more efficient, especially when, when you had new management coming in uh, with Nick Khan as of the summer of 2020. Um, I think it's my argument when we had this discussion, I don't know how many months ago, maybe it was almost a year ago now when, uh, for some reason there, there had been a lot of discussion online and in other places about whether or not W is going to sell. And I dismissed this idea I've dismissed this idea many times. And I've written at least one article explaining why, you know, this is a dumb idea that people believe that W is going to sell, uh, the prevailing notion has been that WB is is a family business. This is a company that, uh, if you if you look if you Google it, this company was founded in 1980 or something like that. But really, we all know that that through various incarnations, this draws back to Vince uh, Vince J McMahon. Don't call him Vince Senior. Don't call him Vince Junior. God damn it, Vince J McMahon, Vince's dad, and then before him, Jess McMahon. Um, the notion has long been, and I believe that, that it's going to be passed on to Stephanie and, or Shane and, or Paul Levesque, uh, generation. And then, uh, remember that, remember that, uh, WrestleMania intro, where like the Shane's son has just been born. And like Vince is like creepily looking up at the screen. Everyone, everyone finally remembers that, right? Was that like WrestleMania 21 or something like that? Um, anyway, uh, so, yeah, that's, that, that's been the, the prevailing notion that this is going to be a family business. It's going to be handed down to the next generation. Um, and that's mainly been the condition for me that's been holding me to the belief that WWE's not going to sell. Um, when you suggest that WWE's going to sell, you, you, you get some uh, responses to, to that suggestion that say, well, Vince is, what's Vince going to do? Vince is not... Just because Vince sells the company doesn't necessarily mean that he leaves the business. Doesn't necessarily mean that he stops being the CEO. Um, Dana White used to own a piece of UFC, I believe. Doesn't own significantly any of it, but who's in charge of UFC? Dana White. Right. An agreement could be made that sells controlling interest currently held by Vince McMahon to some other entity while still guaranteeing Vince McMahon autonomy and, and control and, you know, direction of his company. Um, yeah. A couple points could be made to that. First off,
3: um, the point you're making that Vince could stay in power, that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Let's just say NBC, Universal Comcast purchases WWE. They just wouldn't want to just put one of their executives that knows nothing about sports entertainment in there, um, they'd want somebody with experience. We I uh, think we've speculated before too, if they were to sell, maybe Bruce Pritchard would be in that executive role or, or CEO or whatever like that. But I, I think that it'd be maybe uh, any corporate purchase like Disney or Comcast would probably learn from WCW's mistakes and maybe take a, a hands-off approach as far as putting in television people and media
2: and media. I, I doubt that they're. I doubt that they're and I know I mentioned that at the end of the article, but, like, I doubt that they're, like, studying what happened with WCW or really taking that seriously. Like, I think they, for one thing, it's 20 years ago, more than that, I guess. Um, and then the, the, the revenues are different and the, the economy is different and it's a different organization. Um, I, I don't, it, there's this, I don't know, almost arrogance about, like, I, th- I think even looking into the wrestling business and studying the wrestling business, and we're not a wrestling business, we're a media business. And I think that's sort of pervasive throughout, not just WWE, but probably through their business partners too. And there's this sort of grander view that they look, and maybe rightly so, grander view that they look at at, at WWE's business with, and, and not necessarily looking at it through the lens of an observer reader who who's study all these, these wrestling stories. Um, and there may be some some justification that, uh, especially like I said, considering, you know, WCW was not living in a world where life, live rights were, are what they are. Um, and the licensing opportunities are what they are today. Um, but let me be clear. I don't believe that WB is ever going to exist in visit bands lifetime without him being the CEO I think if w, w sells, which I think is a possibility, I don't know if it's a likelihood, but I, but I'm, I'm more open to it because of what we're going to go through here about the various family members not seeming to to be in a position to take over in in, in succession. Um, I, I don't think Vince is ever going to agree to anything but uh, a Dana White like I get control of this agreement, even though you you get controlling interest uh, because I don't think he's going to do anything else with his life. Uh, this is this is what he does. He runs his company and, and you know, he directs the people around him to, to support him in running the company. That's his life. And I don't think he's ever going to do anything else. Maybe if, if the XFL had worked out and there wasn't a pandemic when there was a pandemic, maybe it would, he would have some diversion, but that didn't work out obviously. And I'm still getting notifications about his, his, the, the latest action in his lawsuit with Oliver Luck. So, uh, so that didn't work out. Um, so anyway, here's Catherine Newman taking over a lot of Stephanie's yeah. duties. Um, And then we can look back to, was Shane going to take over the company? Shane's going to take over the company, right? Yep. Uh, Oh, um, oh, we're we're, we're 13 years behind on that story. Okay, what happened?
3: Uh, In in 2009, yeah. Shane left the company as far as any executive role or office role he had. Yeah.
2: Um, And if we... uh, Why don't you read us the the quotes that Shane told Mick Foley uh, in this 2016 interview? This was after, you know, Shane had not been any any part. He's been a performer in more recent years. But he came back in 2016 to be a performer and, of course, to famously have that match with The Undertaker. And at that time, he did this interview with Mick Foley where he said, where Mick, Mick asked him about why he left WWE in the first place.
3: So Shane's response was, "I think with any partner, I'm sorry, any parent or child relationship, it's tough, especially with the older guard allowing the new guard to flush those ideas out and try them because they're so guarded against it." Fully responded, "Was he not open enough to your ideas?" Shane said, "No, it stopped being a collaboration and it stopped being fun." And when that happened, you know, the WWE defines my father, and I wasn't going to allow a deterioration turing professional relationship affect our personal lives and that's exactly what was happening so I decided I'm not going to do this I love him too much and decided to leave
2: right so uh, I, I, I'm not prepared to get into the minutia of perhaps what what the particular agreement disagreements were you know we've heard through the years that maybe Shane wanted to do some MMA associated uh, ideas wanted to acquire maybe UFC or pride or something like that and mm-hmm. um, We've seen flashes of that, I would say, in, in Shane's return to some sort of creative role right, brother really was raw underground. Um, but uh, Shane came back for a, a while and uh, did, among other things, jump off the top of a hell in a cell to prove his love and loyalty to his father. Um, and then uh, this past Royal Rumble, uh, you know, it's reported that uh, there's some sort of conflict with him participating in some sort of producer role. Uh, and he's on the outs with WB now. At least but there's some sort of disagreement with Vince. Maybe Vince sent him home. Um, so not only has has Shane fallen as an executive some 13 years ago, uh, in whatever may, role he may have been regrowing in the company, that seems to have been reset also this year. Um, and then we had last year, Paul Levesque, of course, had his cardiac issue. He, you know the. Business Insider referred to it as a heart attack. I don't know if, if he's called it a heart attack. I'm not a doctor to tell you what, what's the difference between a heart attack and a cardiac event. But but Paulovac clearly had some uh, serious heart condition uh, in September 2021, uh, and that took him out of, of of any role in the company for a number of months. He's back working now on a lighter schedule. Um, And I think not not just that, uh, he's got some health issues, but, uh, you know, the the NXT and AEW Dynamite Wednesday Night War didn't work out in his favor. AEW Dynamite won the ratings competition. NXT uh, did not turn into a valuable media rights company. We did a long show about the the fall of of Triple H um, this, oh, I don't know, around the turn of the year. Which I think was one of our better shows. NXT moves to Tuesday. The new colorful NXT logo. I was told by someone that you know there there was no warning. They they got sent that logo one day, and you know Triple H. No, no one knew that that was coming. Uh, hmm. So N- NXT was totally rehauled. NXT 2.0 uh, lives in some form on uh, on Tuesday nights now. Um, and who 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 takes uh, if Polivak? Absorbs less political power in Vince's world, which is what it is. Who, who occupies that vacuum? And I, and I might argue, I might speculate. I should say that you know, if uh, Shane was falling from favor, and maybe there was a vacuum left there for Shane. Of course, Stephanie was working in a corporate role from very early on. Right? She she was working in creative. Uh, she had an executive vice president role by 2013. She's chief brand officer. Uh, in the early 2000s, Triple H is winding down his schedule as a full time wrestler and becoming more of a, of a corporate executive. Around the time that, that Shane has just left, again in the very end of 2009, uh, Triple H, I believe, he begins to have a corporate role, an official corporate role, in 2011, and then that grows to the point where he's an executive vice president as well in the early 2010s. So, sort of, it, it coincides, if nothing else, the, the exit of Shane coincides with. The beginning of Rise of Power of Stephanie and Paul. Um, now, and at the very end of uh, well, in twenty twenty one, if Bollevec is losing power, who is that an opportunity for?
3: Well, we have the, this here. I mean, you did put that Cody picture. I don't know if Cody can rise to power that quickly, but we have uh, John John Laurinaitis,
2: Bruce Pritchard, Kevin Dunn. Yes. Do you and- uh, do you listen to the Bruce Pritchard? And who else do we have here? Um, that's that's Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis, Bruce Prichard, Cody Rhodes. But Bruce Prichard is back in WWE, uh, and he's in a creative role. Um, he's the. There was a time even when Eric Bischoff was brought back momentarily, along with Paul Heyman, to be executive director of Raw and SmackDown, respectively. I think Heyman was obvious with with Raw. We remember and. Uh, bischoff with smackdown uh bischoff's run seems to have been pretty short-lived i don't know that Heyman's was much longer um and then bruce pritchard was brought back to take over both of those roles uh along with christine lebrano who has a similar role um in wwe so bruce pritchard is obviously somebody who was with WWE going back to what the early 90s maybe late 80s um, he, oh yeah, Pritchard started in eighty seven, late eighty seven. Eighty seven, okay. Uh, then he was out for the mid, somewhere around ninety two or so, right? And but but he comes back. For about a year, yep. Okay, so uh, but he was fired in two thousand eight by Stephanie McMahon. He confirms that because I've I've googled that and you can find the clip yes. of him tell, telling that story where he confirms that it was Stephanie that relieved him of his duties. Uh, so uh, so maybe Stephanie and and, and Bruce, maybe not. Best friends, um, m- maybe uh, political rivals. Um, maybe Kevin Dunn, also in that camp. Maybe John Laurinaitis. John Laurinaitis back to becoming uh, uh, an executive in talent relations, as somebody who was an executive in talent relations for, for who was not in that role. For I knew he was still working some sort of office role, but he was not in, in as powerful a role uh, in the in the somewhere in the 2010s right uh, yeah. but he, he was uh, more famously uh, you know giving people their future endeavors in the the early 2010s and mid 2000s um, and I could see and this is not information on my part but I could see Cody part of the reason why maybe Cody thought it was a good idea to go to WWE um, would be that you know well maybe there's there's some sort of leadership role that he can eventually Occupy. Um, for entertainment pur- purposes, I have an image on the screen of, of Cody wrecking the Triple H throne uh, at an AEW event a few years ago. Entertainment purposes only. Um, so we know that Ke- Kevin Dunn, uh, I know that there's uh, been, I think Davis said it at some point, uh, and I, I tend to believe it, that uh, the day, this was a, you know several years ago when it appeared to be inevitable that. Stephanie and Paul Levesque were going to eventually occupy a lot of the duties that, that Vince currently holds, right? And the day that, that that would happen, they would, you know, get rid of Kevin Dunn or they would, you know, uh, it's probably quite expensive to fire Kevin Dunn, but, but maybe they would, they would reduce his, his power. Um, last year when WWE was doing a lot of uh, employee downsizing and uh, cutting a lot of employees, uh, the advanced media group in WWE, which was uh, led by executive vice president, jr donlin uh his department was consolidated under kevin dunn's television department into one with kevin dunn winning out he is now the leader of that department and jr donlin is no longer with wwe uh despite the fact that you know jr donlin appeared to be a promising executive including he was recognized by sports business journal for being one of the the top 40 exec, sports executives under 40 nonetheless kevin dunn wins as he always does the um uh, you know, you can say a lot about Roman Reigns um, and how long he's held those titles. Uh, the greatest W champion of all time. Um, I, I might argue, though, and I don't know if you would agree with this, Golo, but I might argue that um, Kevin Dunn is, is the longest reigning champion in W history, with all, all due respect to, to Bruno.
3: Um, well, we we just talked about Bruce Prichard, right? Well, Prichard had t- times in the company he wasn't with the company.
2: Kevin Dunn was never not with that company since, what, 86? No, he's his, his his dad saved those tapes from from the burning car and yeah. he's been he's been set for life
3: yeah but he's never had a stint where he went away for a while or took t- like he has literally been there for years yeah
2: yeah um so um let's see here where where we want to go from here um so NBC universal so I guess what, what we're what we're getting at here is all of Vince's old comfort blankets are back in power. He has surrounded himself with a lot of the people who, you know, who seems to be pushed out of the way, perhaps by, by Stephanie and Paul. Um, Stephanie and Paul seem to have reduced their influence in the last year or so. Uh, And as we've not mentioned here, but I I think everybody listening probably knows Stephanie announced on May 19th, that she's taking a a leave of absence from WB. She'll be back. uh, She says, but uh, so with, if W is no longer going to be handed down to another generation of McMahon's, I think I think it is possible that W would be sold to a major media company. The one that makes the most sense by far is Comcast, which is the parent company of MBC Universal. NBC Universal is deeply invested in W content. Uh, they have Raw. They have W content on Peacock. They have NXT on Tuesday nights on the USA Network, and then they have Miz and Mrs., which is back uh, as of this past week on the USA Network for a third season. So, NBC Universal definitely more so than Fox, and more so than any any business partner, even the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, is NBC Universal is deeply invested in WWE content. Um, if we look at the history of uh, WWE rights fees through the years, what, what we have on the screen here are are the three most recent terms of U.S. T- live TV rights fees for Raw and SmackDown. And we can go back to the, the term. These are what? This is a five-year term. I guess these are all four or five-year terms. So from 2009 to 2014, you could have gotten Raw and SmackDown, and NBC Universal did, got both Raw and SmackDown for $77 million per year, average annual value, $77 million. Uh, the following term, just after the network launched, and by Vince's own admission, the launch of the network negatively impacted negotiations for these TV rights. 1.7x uh, increase from $77 million, $77 million, up to 131 about $131 million average annual value. So not quite doubling. This is the, fam- the famous moment where he's promised um, Brad Saffalo from P.A. Research, the analyst on the earnings call, you can put me in a hammerlock if we don't at least double or I don't know if you say triple or they didn't, they didn't double or triple their TV rights fees. So Vince McMahon still owes Brad Staffalo a, a hammer lock as of Brad's comment uh, on one of my LinkedIn posts. He has not yet collected on that hammer lock. <laughs> so that's unfortunate to hear. Um, and then 2019, really, this negotiation was done in 2018. Nick Khan from CAA comes to the table and uh, helps WB split off. So not just selling, Raw and SmackDown to NBCUniversal, as they have in the past, but selling SmackDown to the open market. Fox ends up, ends up getting it. They resell Raw to NBCUniversal. They end up with $470 million in average annual rights fees from 131. They went from 131 to a 470. That's a 3.6X, more than tripling their TV rights fees. Um, I believe that uh, base case... And I think this is basically what's baked into the stock price of 1.5x. So they're probably not going to double. If, if they do, the stock price will, will grow strongly. But 1.5x is, is what I would expect. Um, and that would put Raw and SmackDown up to more than $700. Remember, just, oh, you know, some some 13 years ago, this was seven, a $77 million value. Now, getting up to perhaps the next round, over 700 million. Million dollars that would that would you know be roughly you know almost ten xing the value over the course of roughly fifteen years right and that's not even including the Peacock content for the premium live events and the library um, if all of that grows by one point five x we're up to five billion dollars in content between Raw SmackDown and the Peacock content the network content um, W stock had a rough week. As, as the market has had a rough week, uh, market cap of WWE is about $4.75 billion, uh, down a little bit from the $5 billion it, it was uh, hovering at for a while. Nonetheless, you're uh, getting to the point where uh, the five-year value of, of the Raw and SmackDown content and of the network content is getting close to the market capital or more than the market capital of this company. Big questions that could increase the value of that content even further is whether or not there are more or fewer bidders for that content. Is Amazon really interested in that content? Um, maybe. Is uh, NBC Universal interested? Yes. Is Fox interested? Probably. Uh, are there other linear traditional players? I don't know. Um, Viacom, but maybe maybe they can't make an aggressive bid. Um, Apple, I'm skeptical. But Amazon, maybe. Especially for any of that peacock content. Um, wouldn't it be nice, though, if you didn't have to... Uh, what's, what's the best way to uh, to reduce your expenses over time is to, to pay a lot up front and to own your house rather than rent your house. Especially when your landlord's raising the price by, like, you know, every five years, imagine your landlord's jacking the price up by three times or one and a half times. You don't know. It's kind of unpredictable. Um, maybe you could even uh, use some of that WIP in Universal Studios. Um, Golo. there's some sort of noise on your, on your microphone that's happening a lot. Maybe your cord's on, on the stand. Something's touching the stand. Anyway, and if you're Comcast, you've got one of the core parts of your business is declining. MVPD subscribers, cable subscribers are declining over time. Uh, At the beginning of 2019, you had 22 million cable subscribers. At the end of 2021, you've got 18 million subscribers. So you've lost 4 million subscribers over that time. And obviously, people are cutting the cord. Uh, You've got Peacock that's supposed to take over some of that business. Uh, You're spending a lot on Peacock. And it's not clear that Peacock and streaming is ever going to be as profitable a business as cable is. So it it would be pretty smart if you can negotiate a reasonable deal to buy WWE outright use the IP, use those broadcast rights. And uh, Nikon seems to recognize that as he told Matt Bellany on the town podcast uh, in March. What did he say?
3: As we say, we're open for business. Khan said in an interview on the town podcast in March. So if you look at what NBCU Comcast, uh, what does MCU, NBCU Comcast lack that they need? And in fact, it's a fact ah, sorry, sorry about that, folks it, and I think it's a factual statement. They don't have the intellectual property that some other companies have. They certainly don't have the Disney treasure trove of IP, nor should they.
2: Yes. He also um, sort of, uh, I would go so far as he takes a dig at Universal Studios when he asks Matt Bellany, have you been to Universal Studios lately? And he makes it sound like there's not a lot there. Um, but can you imagine if there was like a, a W ride there, uh, a John Cena ride and things like that? Um but who would have to make that decision about whether or not uh, comcast is going to acquire wb not only Vince man not only wb but but obviously the executives at comcast um comcast just like wb has a leader who is the ceo who's the chairman of the board who's the preferred class controlling shareholder that's this man do you know this man's name brian roberts right brian roberts yes um so he's uh, he owns a lot of Class B shares that that give him, you know, multiple times the voting power, power per share of, of anybody else, um, and I I was told that uh, when I wasn't told, but um, according to the, the Light Shed podcast uh, a few weeks ago, um, Peacock when Peacock was considering putting WWE content on uh, Peacock, Brian Roberts was hesitant about it according to the belief of, um, the light shed people. Um, but obviously eventually he, he agreed to it or, you know, it happened. And, uh, W content seems to be working out well for Peacock and for WB. Um, and this is, uh, these are some comments that Nick Khan made, uh, about how W content is performing on Peacock. This was from the May 5th earnings call, uh, WWE's earnings call in
3: 2021, WrestleMania's first year on Peacock, we saw a 15% increase in viewership from 2020, which was the last WrestleMania to air in the US and WWE Network. The this momentum-
2: is Chris Gullo playing the role of Nick Khan.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> we uh, also um <laughs> this momentum continued into 2022, where this past month at WrestleMania 38, we saw a 61% increase from 2021. We also doubled WWE viewership in total uh, on Peacock over the past WrestleMania weekend compared to the year prior. That's massive year-over-year growth. As you can see, we did not hit a ceiling on our first year on Peacock during WrestleMania weekend. Nearly one-third of all Peacock's accounts viewed WWE content. In fact, WrestleMania 38 was the second most watched live event in the history of Peacock behind only this year's Super Bowl. What this tells us that we're reaching new fans on the service and growing WWE's audience with the growth on Peacock alongside the existing robust partnerships and viewership on USA with Raw and SmackDown. As we all heard in Comcast earnings reports last week, Peacock increased its paid subs by 40% in Q1 alone. As Peacock continues to grow its user base and in turn those users continue to sample WWE content, we are confident these viewership numbers will only continue to
2: grow. So, W content appears to be among the most popular content on Peacock. Um, as we've argued here before, W popularity seems to be stabilizing after many years of, of annual, repeated decline. Um, web searches is up. Uh, TV ratings, in some comparisons year over year, are fairly stable, including SmackDown total viewership year over year in Q1 was up one percent. Uh, demo not so much, but uh, and, and we are comparing. Ratings in a time where they had the Thunderdome to a time now where they have live audiences back, um, but attendances seem to be stable. Uh, YouTube is a funny comparison because of some of the the windowing of the content and maybe some some movement of content that they've had to do because of um, because of Peacock. But I, I would say popularity in WWE is stable, more stable than it's been before. Uh, and I think in part because of the wider distribution, wider reach of WWE pay-per-views, premium live events uh, that's happening on Peacock, um, which they, they like to remind you of how big these audiences are that are watching these premium live events now, now that they're on Peacock. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there is a possibility if Comcast wants to own a wrestling company, which is, I think, the big question, is possibly that, that Vince could get a... Uh, And Vince would want a Dana White-like agreement that guarantees him leadership of the company. You can see why a parent would be open to that idea. They don't necessarily think that they can understand a wrestling company and and lead it right off the bat. They want to entrust in Vince. Vince has so much credibility with these people for unfounded reasons, in my view. But they would you know, they would trust Vince because Vince has had this 30 year track record of running this company with so much success that Vince by God must know exactly what he's doing. must be a great leader. And then to be fair to Vince, to make his case, Vince has made a lot of good corporate strategy decisions in terms of making a big decision to turn away from the strategy that Barrios and Wilson were leading in up to early 2020 and to hire Nikon and to help WB in a, in a better position to monetize its content than ever. Um, That's the case. The influence that he has on the content uh, really limits the the growth of this company. But anyway, if uh, if what you're saying is a caveat of a
3: sale, does that kind of eliminate anybody that really hasn't had a relationship with Vince to really know what he's capable of? Like, for example, Disney.
2: I don't know if I buy that. Disney wants to buy this company would be at a reasonable price. Um, I don't know if Disney views WB content as great content. Um, in, in ESPN's case, I, you know, there were reports that WB and ESPN Plus were negotiating before Nick Khan came to WB. Um, they ended up going with Peacock, and I think that maybe ruffled some feathers at, at, at ESPN for what that's worth. Um, I don't know. I tend to think that people know Vince well enough in the media business to know who he is and what they think he's capable of, yeah. but it is true that, you know, W content in the U S anyway, uh, has never, you know, appeared on, on a Disney platform, um, in, in any long term sort of relationship. There's been these, you know, there's been some, some really piecemeal licensing of content during the pandemic to, uh, to ESPN. Remember they did some WrestleMania replays and things like that. Yeah. Um, so they've probably dealt with W to some extent. I don't know if they've felt how directly they've dealt with Vince, Um, but there's that Um, and there was for a while it seemed like maybe they were even courting WB because remember there were all these sort of um, talent appearances on on ESPN uh, in sort of the late 2010s Um, but yeah so I think that could happen WB being acquired by Comcast the question is would Comcast actually want to own this and I can think of some reasons why Comcast would be unsure about that um do you want to own a wrestling company that is not the most highbrow piece of content um do you want to worry about the leadership of this company do you want to worry about the potential scandals and the history of scandals that that the company's had um also the
3: independent contractor issue looming i mean it would be explored again if a major major corporation purchased wwe like you don't think somebody would bring up the fact that are we going to give these performers health insurance and benefits or have them actually be
2: employees? Yeah. I mean, I I think as, as, as to me, obviously unjustified as that is, you still got UFC doing pretty close to the same thing under Endeavor and that hasn't led to great progress. Right. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we ended up in a scenario, let's imagine, let's take it for granted, that W would, would be acquired by Comcast. I don't think that necessarily means there's all this scrutiny. I think it is still a liability and a risk, though, that you're carrying you know, some 200-plus talent uh, as independent contractors who are probably misclassified. Um, I don't know that, it, that that leads to additional scrutiny on the issue, but it doesn't remove the fact that they with, or, as an independent company or, or under a parent company that, the, that it's sort of inevitable that this is going to happen, that you're going to face additional scrutiny. Um, when that happens, though, I don't know. Um, but, yeah. So I guess my point is I don't strongly believe that W is going to be acquired, but I do think it's a possibility. Whereas before, I was highly dismissive of that idea. Um, but still, I don't know that there's a big parent company that really wants to own WWE. It's clearly Comcast that would that would acquire it, to my, to my view. It could be others, but maybe it's Disney. But I would be surprised. Um, but I think it's still a, a really big, uncertain question about whether or not NBC Universal, Comcast, would want to own WWE because it's a little about brow wrestling um, because there are some risks and liabilities with it, including history of scandal, including the IP employee issue, including it's a really weird business that I don't know if they're confident they want to oversee. Um, and there, there is, I think it's worth talking about. I don't know if they would view it that way, but I think it is worth talking about that. Look, Turner broadcasting slash time Warner through the late eighties and nineties, Uh, oversaw a wrestling company. And that wrestling company only lived for, you know, about 12, 15 years under that supervision. Um, Different world, different economy. No super high live rights fees like there are today. Maybe even with that dysfunction, WCW would still be alive today if those were the the economics that they had to deal with. Um, So, Stephanie's gone for now. And, you know, I, I would speculate that maybe... You know, like, who knows that maybe I could see a scenario. It's not anything that I know for, for fact, but I could see a scenario in which management, including Vince said, all right, maybe we could sell this, this company and make a huge deal. I could see Nikon, you know, being excited about adding to his resume, being able to make a, a big M&A deal. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? And Vince deciding, well, maybe it's the best thing. You know, sort of, a, you know, Think about those comments that he made to Pat McAfee. You know, whether it's with a family member or without a family member, you want to do what's best for the business, and um, making maybe making a big deal is the best thing for the business in his view. Um, and maybe that's you know that that's opposite to the interests probably of, of Stephanie, who wants it to be a family business and wants to, if she wants to, continue to rise to a higher leadership position in this company that she's worked at all of her adult life. Um, W not being a family business is not, not in her interest. So I could see a scenario in which management has decided they're, they're going to very much put M and a on the table and Stephanie sort of bowing out. And maybe family has a lot to do with this. Maybe Paul of X health issues have a lot to do with it, but um, maybe she's bowing out and not participating uh, in, in managing this company for now while M and a is on the table. Um, and, and uh, they did dismiss uh, Claudine Lillian, who was, who was uh, one of the executives working under Stephanie, who may have been a Stephanie hire. So maybe there's something that that, that happened there. Uh, so there's that. All
3: right. Uh, we're going to uh, move on here. But before we do, remember, if you guys have Super Chats, please uh hit the little dollar sign with your question, the amount that you find uh, suitable and ask us a question. Uh, if it's on that topic, we're talking at the moment. We'll answer it in that period. If not, we will answer it at the end of the show. All questions okay. will be answered. If you super chat them.
2: Okay. Um, AW pay-per-view buys. Did you watch the AW pay-per-view double or nothing? 2021 point 22.
3: I, a- me. I actually did not. This is probably the first time I've watched in a while. Yeah. Wow. I think yes. you're a fake AW fan called. I, I'm a wrestling fan of the, the you know, the
2: pageantry and, and entertainment and all that. I bet, uh, you, you you missed double or nothing, but I bet I bet you didn't miss an episode of Bruce Pritchard's podcast, right? As I said, I haven't regularly listened to the Bruce
3: Pritchard podcast
2: in a long time. Anyway, uh was this Reuters or was it an AP article? Um, there's a Wire Service article this past week that came out uh, mentioning, it has quotes from Tony Khan, so maybe the guy's from Tony Khan. Uh, 155,000 pay per view buys is an early estimate. I'm told this is a good estimate 155,000 buys for Double or Nothing 2022. Um, Revolution did about 165,000. Uh, I, I understand those buys haven't even been finalized yet. That's from March 6, 2022, 165 for Revolution. So Double or Nothing appears to have come in below Revolution. Um, so uh, I, I've, I, I bought the pay-per-view twice. Um, still working on getting a refund there uh, for my $100 pay-per-view purchase uh, with, with the issues from Bleacher Report. Um, but the total revenue that this event generated would end up being the second highest grossing. Now we're going to talk about grossing, which is an ambiguous term, but the, the second highest grossing uh, pay per view, just short of, of course, All Out, which is the leader uh, for pay per view buys. Um, this event, according to Tony Khan, did a $1.1 million dollar gate. So if we average that, so what I did was I took paid attendance. Uh, my estimate for paid attendance is basically knocking off. Uh, either five or 10% off of the ticks number. We end up with over 12,000 paid in that estimate scenario. If we d- divide that by $1.1 million, we can average ticket price of $88, um, assume $15 per head for merchandise, and uh, assume the usual assumptions that people can see on the screen here for pay-per-view, and we end up with net revenue to AEW of four point one million, four point one million total gross. million, a lot of that taken up by pay-per-view carriers. Um, So that would put it at 4.1 million based on my prior estimates of prior AEW pay-per-views. Again, that's that's number two behind the 4.5 million, 4.5 million for all out 2021. Um, 155,000 buys does put double or nothing 2022 over double or nothing 2021 which is consistent with what Tony said at, at the media scrum, um, that streak in all likelihood is going to end in September when all out 2022 happens. I can't see it beating the all out of, of 2021 with 205,000 buys. Uh, that's a, that's a special peak moment with the first match of CM Punk in seven years. Uh, I, I would be surprised, very surprised if, if, AEW was able to put together something that beat that number. Um, so there's that, uh, moving on
3: all right so yeah we will move on yeah oh um another really add on that uh as far as just i mean they're growing but yeah i mean i can't think of anything that is obtainable for them to get to beat two hundred five thousand buys in september like i can't even think of a talent acquisition or a match or anything like i'm sure they'll do well it's traditionally it's always their best but every year but Probably they'll probably end up in a hundred and seventy-five range for all out. If I were to do a, a guess, but all right, yeah, Forbidden Door, to...
2: Forbidden Door coming up, yes. Um, yeah, what's well, the, we don't have any previous the data to base what what that's going to be, but it's it's an all out look like this. I have questions about like to what extent is this truly a joint business venture? Clearly it's a joint talent venture between AEW and New Japan. Uh but I think for all other purposes this appears to be an AEW promoted event. Um so what is what is the base? What is the expectation for pay per view? Hmm. Um I would say a hundred thousand. Yeah, it can't go less
3: than hundred, but I'm hoping I'm I'm not I'm sure they're hoping, I'm sorry, that they're gonna get like
2: at least 130 we'll see there's no matches other than Moxley versus wait did we know who who won look up who won between Tanahashi and, yes uh, Tana, T- uh, Tanahashi. Tanahashi Tanahashi Hir- yes. Hir- Hiroshi Tanahashi defeated Hiroki yeah. Goto so we're going to see um, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus um, John Moxley for the interim AEW championship
3: and Jay White won the IWGP Championship, so that changes the speculation that it was going to be Okada and Hangman. It will probably be Hangman and Jay White. Well, but
2: that that's been gone back and forth about and disputed. Yeah. So I I don't yeah. Uh, so anyway, Hell in the Cell happened. Did you watch Hell in the Cell? I did
3: not. <laughs> I'm 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 uh slacking on these premium live events here. Um, Roman. I Brand. did watch the Cody match though because people said to watch it. Did you watch the Roman Reigns match? Um, there wasn't. Well, oh, we well, know there was not a Roman Reigns match. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like oh. that six man tag was the pay per view before. Yeah. Did
2: Did you watch the Ronda Rousey match? Uh, there was not a Ronda Rousey match. Oh, they're on the post. They were on the poster. Then there's an updated poster with still Cody. Still was Ronda Rousey Roman on it. <laughs> there's still Ronda Rousey <laughs> on here. There was uh, no 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 Ronda Rousey match. Um, but anyway, they did sell out the Rosemont Horizon. The, the car insurance arena that I'll call the Rosemont Horizon. Um, so that was, you know, let's see. if I um, what, what think the average ticket, let's say the average ticket price was 88, the same as the average ticket price for Double or Nothing. Let's assume that. And let's say, you know, 12,000 of that is paid. You know, that's, that's probably over a million dollar gate there as well. Uh, so there's that. Um, Interesting, though, that uh, AEW...
3: Is going to outdraw them in in the United Center uh, f- for Forbidden or for the if the sales are to believe you know sold out so they're, they are outdrawing uh, WWE
2: well, at least in,
3: in Chicago yeah
2: bigger venue bigger venue um, I did a quick uh, look at Cage Match ratings to sort of think about this as like a Rotten Tomatoes review of of. Tentpole events. I don't know what, what, what's the all-encompassing term anymore. Tentpole events, premium live events, pay-per-view. These W events are still on pay-per-view. Um, in any case, uh, the uh, Double or Nothing averaged a rating of 7.7, 7, which puts it on the lower end of, of AW pay-per-views. Um, most of them are, are in the eights. Uh, w events have been doing okay lately. There have been some like Elimination Chamber and Royal Rumble that did below a three, and I believe you have one of one of the Saudi events, the last Saudi event uh, pre-pandemic, doing sub one 0.7 rating for that uh, last Saudi event before the pandemic. Um, but we see uh, you know some very some uh, distribution here from anywhere between you know the the high fours, mid fours, to uh, to the sevens and eights. But some of these, pa- these premium live events have been doing okay uh, for WWE, comparable, with, what, uh, comparable with, with the reception for Double or Nothing, I would say. Uh, so in terms of the quality of the content, uh, some of these WWE events, according to the cage match inmates, on the level of some of the AEW events... So it sort of challenges to some degree. I mean, certainly the the AEW events are, for the most part, across these three years that we're looking at, for the most part, the AEW events are high, more highly rated than the W events. And certainly the, the W events are more numerous. They're doing an event almost every month. AEW is doing an event only quarterly. You can imagine if, if well, if AEW had to run an event every every month maybe they would be putting on some lower quality events too. Maybe they would be watering down the quality of their peak content. Um, but uh, it, it somewhat challenges a notion that maybe I over-present that AW is far superior content than WWE. At least in these sort of peak, these peak events. Uh, so something to keep in mind as as um, I don't want to get into a a creative analysis of, of AEW this week or ever. But um you know, as a, a lot of people are I think are starting to rightfully question some of the things that we're seeing uh in, in, in AEW's creative direction, including uh all of these belts. The all the all Atlantic title. Um I'm hoping that you can capture yeah. that for us here and bring it home, Chris Call. I don't think I'm allowed in the
3: tournament unfortunately. <laughs> it's unfortunate.
2: Um and and I think maybe this this next slide here speaks to, to that somewhat to the that AW has all of these wrestlers, and um, I don't know that they're getting the most out of out of their their talent pool. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What I did was I went into cage match and I counted up the match spots. So think of this like a spot on the card, right? Um... I went through the last 365 days as of when I did this. So June 11th, 2021 to June 8th, 2022. So it's about the prior year, the trailing 365 days. Um, and I found, you know, over 2000 match spots for WWE. This is main roster only. I didn't consider NXT here uh, because I wanted to make sort of a like to like comparison between main roster WWE and, 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 all of AEW, and I didn't include any of the dark stuff in here for AEW. So anyway, we we end up up with over 2,000 match spots for WWE, and we end up with over 1,500 match spots for AEW, which makes sense, right? Because you've got monthly pay-per-views for WWE, and you've got three-hour Raw, two-hour SmackDown versus two-hour Dynamite, one-hour Rampage. There's just a lot more content in WWE's case. So of course you have more match spots. Um, So the number of wrestlers that each company has needed or used to fill all those match spots comes to, in AEW's case, to fill their fewer match spots than at WWE. They used 181 wrestlers to fill those match spots. WWE used 134 wrestlers to fill their 2,139 match spots. So um, not that, that, that WWE's example is the perfect example. There's, you know, no, no necessary reason to think so. Uh, But I, if nothing else, it tells us that AEW is using a greater diversity of wrestlers uh, across their content. Um, But I, I, you know, we don't know exactly how many wrestlers AEW has under contract. Um, But I think it's pretty safe to assume that AEW has fewer wrestlers under contract than WWE does. Um, and I think WWE, uh, you know, it just sort of speaks to the, the differences in the way that WWE presents their content, especially the main roster content, by focusing on fewer wrestlers uh, at a time. And I think we even found that uh, this past week when we were doing our um, Who's a Draw podcast, know, we, just, yeah. uh, we, just, we found that, you know, it, it seems to be, when we were looking at court hours, let's say, even though WWE has three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, which is five hours compared to AEW's three hours. AEW has two more core hours of content every week. They seem to be focusing on a smaller number of wrestlers over that greater amount of content. There's sliding or something happening on the mic stand. It,
3: it was me sliding. I was trying to grab my hose to draw papers, but then you see, uh, okay. the because I because when we look at a, like AEW, we, we, we saw it from like April to May. Different names on top, the shuffling of the talent, which you don't really see a lot of that with WWE. Like you'll go a few months, but a lot of the similar talent being in the top five or six of in appearances, as far as you know, the quarter hours and the YouTube data and all that. So uh, much more shuffling. Like the top draw of AEW changes by the month. It almost seems yeah. like.
2: And uh, and and what about this? Even though yes. AEW is using more wrestlers uh per spot. You know, they're there what what is this matches per wrestler for AEW over the last year. They got 8.4 matches per wrestler to W's 16 matches per wrestler. That's about twice twice as much, right? But uh, you know, they so W has used 138 men to W's 89 men, but still AEW has only used 43 women to W's 45 women. So, uh e- even though WWE is using so many more wrestlers that they're using more wrestlers than WWE is despite having less content to cover, they're still using fewer women. <laughs> um which uh I'll let you unpack that one, Gull. <laughs> uh
3: I mean WWE Well, to to be fair to WWE is probably, you know, has put an emphasis on women's wrestling and being a big part of the show before AEW was even created. Uh, you know, uh, the Women's Revolution uh, and all that, uh, and they are a fixture of the show. When WWE puts out their top draws, they mention names like, yeah, they mention Roman Reigns and now Cody Rhodes, but they mention Charlotte, Becky Lynch, yeah. um ronda rousey at one point sasha banks <laughs> and ronda rousey
2: yeah like yeah yep, like, yeah
3: they would mention those names and you don't aw i think obviously tony is trying to grow a woman's division but other than Britt baker is anybody else really put on a pedestal with the top tier male talent when it comes to promotional vehicles um
2: Jay cargill um <laughs> I,
3: yes I this.
2: over the time yes I will say this, um, the there's there's clearly a disparity in wrestling generally for talent development. And um, I think in, in indie wrestling, which is where I, where I have some, some direct experience, right, um, I, I don't, I don't want to get into an intergender wrestling discussion here, but I will say this, that in in, in indie wrestling, where there is intergender wrestling, I think that's a good thing for inter, for independent wrestling and for for wrestlers, and particularly for for female wrestlers. I don't know that all female wrestlers would agree with that, but I think it's it's good because it allows women who are wrestlers to get experience uh, from a greater variety of wrestlers and to learn and to become better wrestlers rather than to be limited to only wrestling uh, women. Um, you know, going back to like Fabulous Moolah you know, and and even up to as present as uh, the the not that distant future of WWE, where women were told to wrestle in a in a more limited way, and that they had to wrestle a certain way, and they couldn't do too much because that's not how women wrestle. Um, so I don't think women have always had the same opportunity to develop as wrestlers, and probably still don't. Um, so because of things like that, there's been less of uh, there's been less efficient development of female talent in wrestling in the U.S. generally, I would say. Um, Japan seems to be different because Japan has had this sort of longer history, and you could say a segregated history of, of women's wrestling, uh, but definitely a longer history in that it's not been as, as, as limited by the sort of the mula effect. Uh, they've had their own dojos and their own sort of separate evolution of of, uh, of, of an in-ring style uh, going Going back to uh, probably whenever All Japan Women started, um, which is before I think even All Japan or New Japan. Um, but that's happening, and but I would think I think also you can raise legitimate criticism against against AEW for passing up at least early on 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 recruiting of, of women that you could argue that maybe they should have signed that they had the opportunity to 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 sign the um, like AEW's women's wrestling division has improved in the last year or two um so it's gotten better but it's still clearly well behind what wd's uh women's talent roster is um and i think that's probably reflective of um you say a lot of things about about vince mcmahon uh in terms of how he's thought of and treated women on the roster over the years um but you know WWE seems far more invested in promoting women wrestlers than, than I think Tony has uh, over the last three years. Um, not that WWE doesn't still have uh, their problems with, with how they present women and the degree to which uh, they're, they're choosing who to push. But anyway, there's more of the same information. Um, so, Clash of the Castle on September 3rd. 2022 in Cardiff. Um, that is at a stadium. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if we came to, to find out. I wonder if this is the case. That is this uh, an event that WB is going to directly benefit from the ticket sales of? Or is this going to be an event like, um, think about the, the Australia event that they ran in Melbourne back in 2018, right? Um, I wonder if this is a bot show in terms of they're getting sort of paid up front for it. Maybe that's something that we'll learn in in future earnings reports, because that, that Melbourne show ended up in the other line of revenue rather than in the international ticket sales revenue. So maybe that's something we'll be able to confirm or discredit. That terms. was the yeah.
3: Superstar Showdown, right, or something I, like that? I believe they called that Super Showdown. Oh, super, then, a
2: name that they used also for a Saudi Arabia event, yeah. Right, right. So that's something that we would see. So September 3rd is within Q3. So that's something we, we would not see until, like, Halloween time. Um, so we'll see what happens there. will not be surprised to find out. Um, the New York Times had a report this past week. New executive, new friend of David Zasloff in the house.
3: Yeah, uh, this is from June 9th here. uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, the media giant created by the fusion of the owners of HBO and 90 Day Fiancé, said Thursday that it had picked an executive to manage its billions of dollars of sports rights, one of the cornerstones of the company. The company now has the rights to games from the National Basketball Association to the National Hockey League. The executive Luis Silberwasser, I hope I pronounced that correctly, will be responsible for ushering the company's sports programming, which includes inside the NBA, the NCAA March Madness Men's Basketball Tournament, and playoff baseball, further into the streaming era. Mr. Silberwasser has been one of the most senior executives at Univision, which closed a $4.8 billion deal with the Mexican media giant Televisa this year to create a Spanish-language media Colossus. Uh, he is the president of Televisa Univision uh, Univision Inc. U.S. Network's group reporting to Wade Davis, Univision's chief executive. Uh, one prominent example is the NBA, the Warner Brothers Discovery pays an average of about $1.2 billion per year for rights to show NBA games nationally, part of a 9 year agreement signed in 2014. That agreement is up after the 24-25 season and the NBA is expecting to free expecting its fee to sharply increase during the next round of negotiations, given the league's rising global popularity, a person familiar with the agreement said. There is little doubt that Warner Brothers Discovery will have to pay more to continue showing the NBA, which is a top draw for its cable channel, TNT, and sports website Bleacher Report. The NFL nearly doubled its media revenue from the rights agreement signed last year, and the NHL, the Southeastern Conference, and other sports leagues have Seen huge increases in recently completed deals. Mr. Silberwasser will be responsible for managing Warner Brothers Discovery, U.S. sports portfolio, and setting the company's global sports strategy. The company's international sports portfolio, including the Olympics, will be managed by Andrew Grigaud, uh the President and Managing Director of WBD Sports Europe, Lenny Daniels, the President of Turner Sports, and Patrick Crum, the President of Regional
2: Sports Networks, will report to Mr. Silberwasser. Yes, So I believe this is someone who worked with uh, David Zaslov at, um, who's formerly with Discovery. Um, so someone who could have a lot of influence on AEW's next TV negotiation. Um, interesting to note, too, here uh, the NBA is expecting its fee to sharply increase during the next round of negotiations given the league's rising global popularity. A person familiar with the agreement said, Now, NBA is the number two sports property in all of U S television. So not that surprising that those further up on that chain are going to continue to benefit, but, um, some reassurance, at least that, that sports rights continue to grow in value and the NBA is expecting an increase. Um, so there's that, not, not much to, to, add to that other than here, here's, here's some of the new, new players here and we know that Brett whites is out. Um, of of uh, managing TBS TNT and True TV. and uh, here's somebody who's going to oversee at least the NBA agreement. Uh, he'll have a lot to say about uh, the NHL and 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 things like that, and maybe AEW. So, um, <clears throat> here are three titles. Uh, I I, was, I did put this slide in before uh, WWE announced that Rowan Reigns is going to uh, defend uh, the title against Matt Riddle on uh, excuse me Riddle on uh, on Friday on SmackDown. I was going to say that uh, the most valuable U.S. titles are on inactive wrestlers um, in the form of CM Punk and Roman Reigns. Um, Did you know that the cover letter for the annual reports 2021 came out this week? Did you know
3: that? I I, I did not know that. uh, uh, But I was then you sent me the slides and uh, I I didn't really know about a lot of these. It's very interesting.
2: I feel like we talked about this last year, um, yeah, but might be. so we can, we can go through, you know, it's, it's a big deal to be on the cover of the video game. Sure. It's a big deal deal to be a uh, W uh, intercontinental champion and, and, and U S champion, I guess. But here's, here's, here's like, it's like being on, on the cover of, uh, of sports illustrator or time magazine or something. Um, but seriously, I, th- I think this does tell you something about who are the talent that they really value. Uh, just like we, we talked about how these sort of, um, you know, counterintuitive uh, representations of, of valued talent in terms of who was at the upfronts, right? Uh, who's at the upfronts this year for WWE? Rowan Reigns, Charlotte, Miz, Bianca Belair. Uh, who's on the cover of this report? To be clear, we had the annual report um, in February, I think. But then some months later, after the annual shareholders meeting happens, which is in like April, they put out. And it might be released to shareholders at, at that time. But it ends up on the corporate website some months later. Anyway, I, I noticed it for the first time. So I don't know if this got put up this week or what. Because I've, I've been checking and I hadn't seen it up to this point. But anyway, here here are talent that they Feel are important enough to to show to their shareholders, um, and we can just quickly run through the history of this, going back to two thousand four, where you got Jericho Cena, and uh, and and Rey Mysterio on the cover in two thousand four, uh, Triple H in two thousand five, and then two thousand six, everyone's favorite mayor and defender of the Second Amendment, Kane Jacobs, um, and then Rey Mysterio in two thousand was this six no seven two thousand seven it's Rey Mysterio, uh, Jeff Hardy in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Getting this year right, right? I think so. Uh, and then in two thousand nine, strength and numbers. Not not even WWE is as, as immune to to the puns. Um, I should probably put this in a notebook or something for puns for, uh, for WrestleMania, R- WrestleManiacs headlines. Um, strength and numbers we have John Cena, F. Ewing. Was it called an F. U. at the time? Or Was it an attitude adjustment already by two thousand nine? Oh, it was an attitude adjustment by oh nine hundred percent. That was the beginning of the PG era, so. Oh, wait, really? So John Cena hoisting the big show an Edge on his shoulders at WrestleMania that that prior year. Uh, And then The Miz, already in in 2010, uh, making the cover of the annual report. Sheamus in 2011 in his robe and crown with the caption, Content is King. And then John Cena in 2012, his first rock year uh, with his uh, Never Give Up uh, Susan G. Komen attire. And then... No no wrestlers on the cover of the 2013 image, but there is a second page with Rock and and Cena at WrestleMania. Um, and then in 2014, the first year of the network, again, no wrestlers, just the belt, which is now a logo. Uh, and then it's not until the third page where we see Roman Reigns holding an iPhone uh, uh, with the, the W Network uh Image on it, um, the new day in 2015. Oh dear, and then Charlotte in 2016, Oscar in 2017, a slew of wrestlers in 2018, including Roman Reigns at the front, Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch, Braun Strowman, uh, Alexa Bliss, Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins, Charlotte, Naomi, Oscar, and Rey Mysterio. Uh, Roman Reigns again in 2019, in 2020. Charlotte Flair, and then this year, for the first time, Becky Lynch. Uh, so only a few who have been on here more than once, right? Which would be Charlotte, Roman Reigns, uh, John Cena, I would say. But Becky Lynch making the cover uh, in our letter to shareholders, um, and uh, the, the the letter highlighted a number of things. I mean, a, a Twitter thread about it, but um, we got the NIL. We should be, should be getting a, a new NIL uh, announcement, recruiting class this month was, I believe, what W has said in the past. In June, they'll be announcing a new class. Um, continuing to put uh, Gable Stevenson out here as the face face of this thing. Uh, maybe this was put together before uh, there was the, there were the reports that Gable Stevenson's looking at uh, using his his final year of eligibility at Minnesota University, uh, but that's. That's uh, that's what the reports are. Um, so we'll see. Will Gabe, Gable Stevenson ever have a match in WWE?
3: Yeah, that's. Well,
2: him. You know, Chad Gable still called Chad Gable. So.
3: Yeah, and I don't think he's cutting
2: promos in Gable Stevenson right now. So. Yeah, but he he did suplex Chad Gable at um, yeah. at WrestleMania, and. Uh, yeah, so there's that. I think that's all we have, unless you unless you have any. Um, just kind of want to bring secret up secret topics. Uh,
3: bring up a topic that maybe we'll expand on further. Um, I don't know. We haven't really talked much about it because this isn't a sports cast, but it's media, but the live golf uh, it's, and it's interesting because here's the you know the Saudi back to live golf. They've, they've have signed a lot of prominent golfers away from the PGA tour, uh, right. mostly because PGA tour doesn't really have a lot of guaranteed money. Obviously, you enter the tournament, you hope to get and all that, uh, but they got a TV rights deal this week and in, it was with the zone. And not with the network, because of maybe the ties that the PGA Tour has with other networks. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I would want to touch that. um, I just uh, found that interesting though, uh, because they do have a lot of prominent names, and with that, I know they don't want to touch it. But a lot of
2: the biggest names in golf are going there now. Yeah, if 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 that league does well for several years, maybe they'll make a a real TV deal. Um, Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, you know. I, I think we talked about this before, but it's it's kind of funny to think about this, this deal with WWE in Saudi Arabia started in 2018 for the cost that it's costing the Saudi government, which is over 100 million dollars a year. It's um, probably along the lines of what the Khan family is spending on AEW per year. They could have, you know, the Saudi government maybe they could have just started their own wrestling company. They don't need they don't need to to license uh, WWE, um, but. And that's kind of what I was hoping you would go with this. <laughs> like, I mean, it's... But then again, what what the Saudi government probably wants out of that is, is, a, is a branding event, is a public relations event to show the... And, and if they're doing that on their own... And I'm being facetious here that the Saudi government would start their own major wrestling company. But what they what they want is American entertainment, a global broadcast, broadcast on Peacock, uh, and and other platforms around the world to show, hey, look. If you're hearing bad things about Saudi Arabia, you're not seeing them here. Look, looks like a normal event. And when people reply to me on Twitter or whatever, say in response to, why are you being so critical about the, why, why, why are you talking about, This doesn't look like this, this is this bad place. These events seem fine. That's exactly the, the response that the regime of Mohammed and Solomon wants you to have, is that, you know, this looks like a normal country, so I don't know what, what people are getting all upset about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi for. Um, uh, Before we go further. Yeah, I was just going to hit that. uh, I would would like to digress. Uh, Tim B. Hmm. Adds a super chat, which we we, we thank you, Tim B. He says, glad to see Gullah back. I was concerned after his merch was pulled from the WrestleNomics store. Glad Brandon Brandon smartened up and paid the man. Well, as Vince McMahon said in 2011, purportedly, to uh, one Siong, He got me over a barrel, a barrel here. And, uh, you know, he basically Jeff Jarretted me, uh, with the intercontinental title and, uh, held me up, uh, at the beginning of the show, actually, you know, we were getting ready to go and he's like, I'm not going on the air unless you pay up. So, uh, basically extorted me and I had no choice.
3: Hey, it's just business. It's nothing personal, (laughs) you know, it's what's best for business. Yeah, whether
2: it's with a family member
1: or not a family member. (laughs) So
3: But yeah, I think that's kinda all uh I have for this week as far as stories, whatever that kinda wanted to touch on and Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. Um where's our slides? There they are. Uh thumbs up, like, share and subscribe on YouTube or on your uh podcast app. Thanks to everybody for listening and supporting Russellomics. We did a a who's a draw uh podcast this past um, Wednesday. So that is out for subscribers now. Uh, Can I confirm that you're going to join me again this week to do the the company popularity update? Yeah, let's do it. What company is a draw? (laughs) Well, we're going to monitor sort of things along the lines of of what we talked about earlier in terms of the stabilization of W's popularity and and sort of look at, all right, then the month of May has ended. So we have data uh, from Google trends from TV ratings from ticket sales and look at what's now in ticket sales. We're getting close to having year over year comparisons. We will in July and certainly by August, we will have year over year comparisons that are, that are meaningful or getting towards meaningful. I know there there'll be a a pent up demand month in July, 2021 to compare against, but um, but in TV ratings and in ticket sales and in Google web search and in YouTube data, we will have some year-over-year comparisons to look at companies, not not, not just WWE and AEW, but um, other companies as well. New Japan, Impact, perhaps other companies. Uh, those will be slides that I make on Tuesdays. We're going to do that on Wednesday. What do you think? Yeah, we'll do it Wednesday. Okay, uh, we'll run head-to-head with uh, with Dynamite again.
3: Uh, a little bit. We only bleed
2: into the first segment. Yeah, but anyway, that that'll be. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm. A, maybe we'll release this first one uh, public, uh, like we did for Who's a Draw. But uh, the audio will be available afterwards for subscribers only, in the in the YouTube the video will of course be a, be out there afterwards. You don't have to watch it live. Um, so that's all. Subscribe yeah. on Patreon for that if you want to at patreon.com/slash cause You also get access to the Russelomics viewership spreadsheet and my daily TV ratings updates.
3: Well, a few exciting things uh, on this front. Uh, we had our uh, newest episode, of Rediscovery News, come out last week. Uh, part four of Burr Prentice, and it's going to be five parts. Very interesting uh, uh, individual, but we discuss how he was able to um, basically have a developmental deal with WWE and WCW at the same time. He, um, or around like the same time period, uh, using talent for both promotions and then, uh, his kind of role in the beginning of TNA and how that affected him as a wrestling promoter and much more, it's a lot of good fun tidbits, get a lot of good feedback. So if you want to know about Bert Prentice, who it was one of the most interesting individuals to promote independent wrestling, uh, we uh, go into full detail with that. That's RTI pod on uh, Instagram and Twitter and rediscovering these on Facebook, myself, Chris Gello, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you can actually see me this Saturday night for Empire State wrestling, June 18th. If you're in the Western New York area, it's going to be at the frontier fire hall. And that's six P six PM bell time. We got uh Kevin Blackwood versus Jay Freddie
2: in the main event. So, yes. And I, I, th- I think I am producing that show. Yeah. Um, we have some last minute. Oh, wow. Last minute. We First of all, we have a super sticker from Joseph Carino. Thank you for that. The $5 super sticker. And then we have uh, one easy attack from Chris Ely, uh, who has an article, by the way, up yes. on WrestleNomics.com about uh, sort of these power plays uh, that talent is, is making between their companies, both in the form of MJF and AEW and the duo of Sasha Banks and Naomi in WWE. You can read that right now for free. Anybody can on WrestleMonix.com. Um, but uh, Chris asks, are AEW ratings on an upward trajectory in 2022 or not? Um, so I'll, I'll try to answer that quickly. If I uh, if I look at um, AEW ratings and look at uh, let's see, what's the best way to, to think about this? I guess in, in year-to-date the demo is probably on a slightly negative slope. Uh, total viewership is on a very slightly negative slope. So very slightly going down over, over time. Maybe there's some seasonality to that. If we look at the year-over-year comparisons uh, for the past three months for Dynamite. Um, total viewership in April was down 4% year over year compared to the April, of the prior year, May. So we're looking at post Wednesday night war time. I, I can probably, let me share my screen real quick here. I think we can do this. Um, if I go to screen share and go to this and share the screen, boom. And if I make this real big, right? So we have here now on the screen for people watching on YouTube. Um, this is in in the blue heading. Total viewership year over year. Um, and this shows, again, April. Again, remember, the Wednesday Night War ended in the middle of April. I believe April 13th. NXT moves to Tuesday. So uh, we're looking at April, down 4% in total viewership. May, now a full month of, of post-Wednesday Night War time, down 6% in total viewership, which Tony Khan doesn't care about. Uh, well, he, I don't know. He cares about the demo more, certainly. Uh, June, which we have just how many Wednesdays have happened in June so far. Two Wednesdays have happened in June, up 8% in June. Um, Now, remember, I think in May 2021, that's when the playoffs, the NBA playoffs started to happen, if I'm not wrong. Uh, Demo, though, demo in April a partial post Wednesday night wartime up 2%. The demo looks better. Long story short for for AEW. Um, May down 1%, June up 6% again, just two episodes into June. Um, and then something else I wanna, we can just comes to mind quickly here. Uh, if I look at the median age, which we'll have to make this more zoomed out. If you look at the median age, let's go to 25% zoom. Um, something that stood out to me, was just, just, uh, you know, looking at stuff, uh, the other day, if we look at this median age chart, um, everybody's getting older, except for two programs, and what we have here on the screen is Dynamite, Rampage, even Impact, New Japan in their short timeline of history that we do have now, um, NXT, Raw, and SmackDown, right, and... What we see is most everybody's getting older, right? Even Rampage is getting older. And Rampage had that strong start in the summer. And they've gotten older since then as the younger viewers have probably felt more, less urgency. Felt less urgency to watch Rampage. And Rampage viewership has declined uh, from not just the CM Punk episode, which was enormous. But in, you know, in general, from those first couple months of Rampage, viewership is down somewhat from that time. But anyway, Rampage getting older. Uh, New Japan getting older. NXT getting older. Yes, NXT. And uh, SmackDown slightly getting older over this time. What we're looking at here is the pre- the past 12 months, right? Past year. Uh, who's getting younger, though? A slightly negative slope in median age for Raw. Um, what does that mean? I think it means the, the, the demo is probably holding up. Um, and Dynamite, pretty flat. Pretty flat uh, slope here. I'm not sure what the what the slope is there, but something close to a zero slope for for dynamite, which I guess just just I think speaks to the, the stabilization of those two programs and and for, and SmackDown too. We're really seeing you know sort of these these three most important shows in wrestling, um, holding up all right. If we uh, I know Chris didn't, didn't ask about Raw SmackDown, but um, you know in, in total viewership, SmackDown is uh, is basically flat. In April, 1%. In May, up 1%. In June, so far, where we've had, let's see, we have one rating, one final rating so far for SmackDown, down 1%. The demo is more precipitous, though. Uh, and uh, I don't know, Raw doesn't, doesn't look as favorable here either. Um, but there's that. Um, and then we're looking at in that in that chart more than just the last three months. Here we're looking at the last twelve months, and that's including basically all of the the post um, return to touring time. So, it, I guess a, a, a narrative that I would apply to this is that since the return to touring, there's been a benefit to to RAW to SmackDown, and to AEW. And the, the AEW timing also coincides with the addition of CM Punk, the addition of Brian Danielson, uh, perhaps the addition of other talent as well, including Adam Cole. Um, so there's that. Anything else?
3: To uh-huh. add here? No, uh, I mean, it kind of showed it with the data and all that uh, as far as the AEW ratings, but yeah, I think, I think that will do it this week unless we get another late last minute super chat. Yeah.
2: We've been seeing too, just a, I don't know, let tangent to this. The This non-news cable originals daily top 50 that I follow here where we're in May, which included a lot of really strong NBA ratings, I guess is probably the biggest thing uh, uh, contributing to that where um, it was up 6% in May, up 3% in total viewership in April. And we're seeing uh, so far in June, a much deeper decline which is more along the lines of what this has usually been, uh, in the last year or so. Um, Chris Ely is having having a conversation with us through, through super chats. Chris Ely says, would it be better for Warners, for Warners to move AEW to another channel on its regular time during the playoffs like true TV or is changing the time and day on the same channel more viable? Um, We did see during the Olympics, right, Raw and and NXT move to sci-fi. I think when, I would would guess the the calculus happening there is we don't want to train people to to go look at a different channel, especially a different channel that's going to have lesser reach and lesser profile. Um, There was one instance, right, where before Rampage debuted one of the, the dynamite preemptions uh, was going to be on true tv and i think it did and did end up on true tv i think in a simulcast um, maybe one of the 10 p.m. airings of dynamite in the in the original maybe uh, nba playoffs preemptions but I, I think their calculus is keep it on that channel so at least they're not having to i don't know i guess you could put it on true tv at at 10 but maybe the the notion is that you're avoiding the playoff competition that you're going against that way too. Um, and in, in, in some cases uh, you're getting a, an NBA lead in, I guess that that was the case in the, uh, the college basketball situation where they were on at like 11, but it was one of their lowest ratings of all time. So I don't know how much that was a benefit. I, I imagine what's playing into it. Partly is the, you want to keep people in a habit of watching on that same network. And maybe that watching on that same network at a different time is better than watching on a different network at the usual time slot. Um, Nonetheless, I think being preempted does hurt Rampage quite a bit, Um, being preempted as often as it's preempted. Um, And I think what happens is every time they go through a season of this where they're preempted, you're breaking people out of the habit of watching every week at 10 o'clock on TNT. And it's, and, and once that season is over, and now you're back, oh, you're, you're back out of the preemption zone. Um, you lose some people out of that habit. Not, not 100% of the, of the people who, who habitually watch go back to habitually watching. So I think that's hurting AEW. Um, God, I love, they, they love their TV partners, but that is hurting them. And I, and I think this is one of the reasons why I think it's, there's a good argument for um, keep Dynamite on linear TV. Where the the reach is going to be the largest, the widest, on let's say TBS, and sell Rampage perhaps to a streaming player, where you get a different nature of reach uh, by by putting that that program on a streaming platform, and then you're not as prone to preemption and disruption uh, f- with your audience. So there's that. Okay, now I think we're done. All right.
3: All right, see so you. that will wrap up another uh, chock-full news week here of Russellnomics. Yeah.
2: Okay. Th- thanks, everybody, for the last minute Super Chats, and thanks uh, to everybody for, for listening and supporting Russellnomics, and we'll see you next time. Bye.